Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The race is on. And this episode is all about you and your F1 season verdict. The biggest story of the season, the best win, the worst blunder, the most painful heartbreak, the non-winning drive of the season, the biggest disappointment and the most seismic driver market move. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and to discuss these categories and how you voted on this special video podcast are Glenn Freeman and Scott Mitchell. Well, something a little bit different, both to our usual output and to the -the run-of-the-mill season reviews for you today. This is all about a series of polls hosted in the community section of our YouTube channel, with votes pouring in for every category. Now, Glenn, this was your brainchild, so perhaps you can explain what it's all about. Yeah, um, we've had an amazing first year, I think, at the race, and, and YouTube has been a massive part of that, and our YouTube audience has been a huge part of that. So, it was a way of trying to say thank you and to give something back to show that what our audience thinks is very important to us. And we've been putting out these polls for the last, well, we did them last week. Uh, we've had hundreds of thousands of votes and so many comments that we really appreciate. So we thought we'd let the verdict of the fans that have been watching our content on YouTube throughout the year dictate what we're going to talk about as we look back on the season. And to me, that seems like the best possible way to frame what we're going to talk about and what's worth talking about from a, a crazy year of F1. Yeah, it's certainly been a, an amazing year and you can enjoy it on video or in audio form. It works both ways. But Scott Mitchell, are there any categories you're disappointed are not featuring in this? Yes, I thought long and hard about this, even to the point where I was worried that I was going to rant about the absence of a category that I never even uh, made sure was considered in the first place. Uh, but it's... Uh, I. I think it would have probably been a short discussion, but it would have been fun to see what people thought was uh, was was the best overtake of the year. I know that we get a bit bogged down in the disappointment of the lack of a title battle, but one of the cool things about F1 2020 was uh, that race by race, we had like quite interesting narratives and we had some really spectacular Grand Prix in 2020. And there were some mega passes. George Russell ran the outside of Valtteri Bottas in, in, in Sakir. Alex Albon ran the outside of Daniel Ricciardo for a podium place at Mugello. And all manner of uh, uh, overtakes in the that that wet and wild start to the Hungarian Grand Prix, just just as just as a few. So so maybe um, may, may, maybe as a sort of like little bonus category, someone can throw us a little message on on Twitter or or, or on YouTube in the comment section to see what they would have thought about that. 
Well, let's start off with the freshest category given recent news. What was the best driver market story? Now, the options here were Vettel to Aston Martin, Sainz to Ferrari, Ricardo to McLaren, Alonso to Renault, and the most recent news, Sergio Perez taking Alex Albon's seat at Red Bull. Now, we're too close to the announcement of that to have accurate results in our poll, so we're going to put them up on screen now. These will be decided after we've finished recording, so you can see who's won that poll there. But, Scott, this has been a bit of a saga. The Red Bull thing has been going on all season, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it has. Um, it, it was looking like, um, from, from, from the very first race, it looked like this was obviously a big chance for Alex Albon to sort of stake his claim for... I guess for the medium term, really, because Red Bull didn't seem to have any other alternatives within within the pool. And um, if you if you think all the way back to when the season started, for real, obviously not when it actually actually started, which was months before it actually started. Um, Alex Albon could have won the first round of 2020. I, we would have had a. I think we'd have been having a very very different conversation now, and we'd have had a very different narrative through the year if that had happened. But the but the, there was just, I mean. The, the poor guy's season peaked with a crash with Lewis Hamilton, basically. That was, it was basically the high point of, of, of his year. And ever since then, it's just been this long, drawn-out saga uh, of, of Albon being encouraged by Red Bull, being given every confidence by Red Bull, being told, you know, come on, this is yours to claim. Just give us a reason, please, to keep you because we want to keep you. It's the easiest. And just every time, just sort of not quite meeting those standards. And it, it just got to the point where in the final few races of the year, when it was really on the line, he, um, he, he just couldn't prove, he couldn't prove that he was what Red Bull needs. And the only time he did that was in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the final race of the year, by which point I think the body of evidence against him was so monumental that even if he'd won that race, I think it would have been difficult for Red Bull to, to, to decide he's the, he's the guy for the job. It's a strange one because that one's gone on, for most of the season whereas the other four choices were pretty much done and dusted effectively before the season started Vettel, Sainz and Ricardo were all done during that lockdown period when the season was in hiatus and then the Alonso to Renault deal was I think announced between the two Austria races wasn't it so this is in terms of the actual length of it the Renault one's been the longest saga but in terms of the impact then which one would you have voted for some of those earlier ones are pretty big stories aren't they yeah, it's really difficult to judge this. You have to try and imagine that they all happened at the same time. And I think if that was the case, it's got to be one of the Ferrari decisions. Um, Vettel leaving Ferrari, leaving without the world championship that I think we all thought would come at some point is huge. Um, obviously, when that move happened, we didn't realise how bad his final season was going to be. So I think that's that sucked some of the air out of that storyline. But Ferrari signing Carlos Sainz, who everything he did this year has just strengthened his case for why he's worthy of going to Ferrari. Those two moves are huge. Ricardo to McLaren is a big deal, but it is kind of a sideways or a slightly diagonal step in the midfield. So it would be one of the Ferrari stories for me. Obviously, Fernando Alonso coming back is huge. I just think that feels slightly less special because it's going to be his third stint at what we'll call Team Endstone because they're going to be Alpine next year. So I feel that takes some of the shine off of that because it's like, well, he always ends up driving for Renault at some point. So, of course, he's doing it again. But Alonso, two-time world champion, still, I think, is going to be one of the best drivers on the grid. To have him back is absolutely brilliant. So I think this year's driver market, or should I say 2021's driver market, has been phenomenal. All of these 
moves in isolation are huge. I'd go with signs because um, uh, the, the the Vettel element, I know, Ed, you said, that obviously, that this was all stuff that was basically done pre-season. Obviously, Vettel to Aston Martin didn't eventually get confirmed until a little bit later, but it was basically like everyone was expecting it pretty early because it was it was the only it's the only option the guy really had and the best bit about the signs or the most interesting thing about the signs move is sort of it's almost less about him and as sort of Glenn, Glenn was saying it's more about sort of what it meant for Vettel and the most intriguing element for me was just this public facade that went on basically with Ferrari insisting that Vettel was the the, the first choice the priority for, for for 2021 and to to the point where Vettel was then very surprised to hear not only had they signed another driver another driver that they were were also saying that they hadn't been able to come to an agreement and Vettel was like well what agreement they didn't offer me anything uh, which I just thought was extraordinary extraordinary so it's almost the conduct around it that makes signs to Ferrari so so interesting Let's move on to our second category, which is the best win of the year. Very self-explanatory category. So the nominations for that are Max Verstappen for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone, Pierre Gasly for the Italian Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton's win in the Turkish Grand Prix, Sergio Perez's breakthrough win in the Sakia Grand Prix, and Max Verstappen again for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Now, the winner in that one is Pierre Gasly. Perhaps not a surprise there, Glenn, but would you have gone for that? I I thought this one would be really close between Gasly and Perez. I expected it to be one of the upset wins um, that would would take the pole. It was really difficult. The Perez one is so fresh in the mind still and was such a crazy race. But I think back to the Italian Grand Prix and I after that red flag when the order was jumbled and you know we it looked like we were almost certainly going to get a new surprise winner. I watched the rest of that race standing up. Um, and pacing up and down my room it was that exciting and that tense as well you know we had Carlos Sainz chasing Gasly down and the the jeopardy that was there as well so I think I I can completely understand why this one won it and as I say I I fully expected one of the upset wins to lead the way here because people love to see that sort of thing don't they? Uh, Yeah I'm not surprised that I'm not surprised that that's won because I guess uh, I guess the Perez win was a little bit more of a I don't want to say he didn't deserve it obviously he 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 deserved it but it was much more sort of inherited in the sense that by the time the race came to him and he was in position to take the victory there his drama had already happened so so it was an ama- like <laughs> the guy was last <laughs> he was he could have retired on the opening lap that 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 is it, that is a fantastic victory but I guess I can see why the, the circumstances around how Gasly took a, advantage of his opportunity, I, I, I think, is probably what elevated that because it wasn't his race to, to, to inherit. I, I think Lance Stroll or Carlos Sainz could, should, in another world, would have won that race. And Gasly did. So so that was... And also it was the, it was the first proper upset as well. I, I, I still think... I'm not a fan. I'm not a massive fan of uh, Verstappen's Abu Dhabi win in comparison to the other contenders. It, I think it was brilliant, and it's it's like top half of Verstappen's wins because of how mega um, a performance it was all round. But that's what I like about in a season of Mercedes domination. You've got Verstappen's first win at, at, at Silverstone, which is obviously forcing the issue against Mercedes, and oh, finally freeing us from a boring narrative at the start of the year. And and Hamilton's win in Turkey as well. Like I, I, 
I'd have given serious consideration to that just because of how he managed to find control within, within the chaos. But I can't begrudge Pierre winning this winning this poll. It, uh, it, it was genuinely just one of the most crazy experiences I've, I've worked through in, in, in my career. Absolutely outstanding. Well, if you look through the comments on the community section of, of our YouTube channel about this, everybody feels much the same way. It's all about the story and the emotion. Zamir Nizam said, Hamilton's turkey drive was absolute world class, but Gasly got the win with the worst car out of them all. Props to all of them, but man, Gasly's win was too emotional. Perez was also good. I wish I could vote for two. I think a lot of people probably felt that. Also, we had unknown ceilings saying Hamilton in Turkey was sublime, but the sheer brilliance of Checo's last-to-first performance has to win it. Astra X3 says, why is Verstappen's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix winning here? He got pole and maintained his position with no action, only solid pace. Dan Tickner comes in in defence of Verstappen, saying the most impressive win was Verstappen's masterclass at Silverstone, beating both Mercedes on merit. And we've also had a left-field choice from Terence Talani. A few others threw this in, saying Lewis Hamilton's Silverstone win on three wheels. Loads of comments and interaction from uh, from everyone on the, uh, on the on the YouTube community section but yeah a clear clear victory I would say not just for Gasly but for the unexpected wins it just shows that a shock victory and we had two of them this year for Gasly and Perez they're always the most memorable so moving on to our next category what was the biggest story of 2020 all about the most significant F1 news story over the past year, whether it's on or off track. Now, the five options here were Ferrari's confidential settlement with the FIA over its engine, Racing Point's pink Mercedes controversy, the Australian Grand Prix cancelled and the season delayed, Honda quits F1 again, and Hamilton gets COVID and George Russell races for Mercedes. Slight surprise to me on this one, the winner with 35% was Hamilton gets COVID and Russell races for Mercedes. Scott, did this surprise you as much as it did me? Yeah, I think, I think so. I, I, initially, I was annoyed and thought this was a victory for recency bias, and because those other stories, like I mean, the, by definition, they're on the shortlist because they were massive stories. But th- there was so much about the other stories that I thought was really interesting, especially obviously the the season opener getting cancelled and the championship being put on hiatus for nearly, nearly four months. The, the the world imploded. You you can't get a bigger story than that but I I also think we're sick and tired of talking about a pandemic and the impact and how it's how it's wrecked everyone's year in in, in different ways um so I, maybe I, I can forgive that one not being not being picked and when you when you remove the recency element of it and you just view what happened for the Sakia Grand Prix the world champion missed a race the guy who's been driving the slowest car or one of the slowest cars all year and hasn't scored a point in Formula One suddenly gets an opportunity in the world championship winning team. Then he nearly goes and sticks it on pole and then he nearly wins and he gets it he gets it wrenched away from him twice during during the race. I from from a sporting point of view, and I, I wonder if this is what won it, because it was a sporting and human story combined rather than just controversy or, or something like this and a, 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 the only downside to that story is obviously it required Lewis to get ill <laughs> to make it happen because nobody wanted that but everything else around it is just mesmerizing yeah I remember you saying Scott that you, when we first saw the results of this one coming in you were saying that's got to be recency bias and I've been thinking about it as we've been building up to recording and I came to the same conclusion you outlined there which is actually all of the elements here in isolation and 
and the fact Lewis Hamilton is F1's most famous driver and he caught the virus that has defined everybody's year this year and everything else that come with it with George Russell, as I think we're going to discuss again in some of the other categories. So I can understand why this one won. What I think is interesting in this category is that a lot of the losers, if we want to call them that, all did get a decent spread of the vote as well. So I think that tells us that the audience did view all of these as big stories and it was quite difficult to choose. And, and you, again, much like with the driver market, you look here, all of these things, one of these things happening in a season would be the story that defined the season. I think probably Ferrari is the biggest one for me because not just it's Ferrari and the FIA coming to a confidential agreement. Like How, how can that happen in 2020? But also the impact it had. Ferrari went from being an absolute force last year and looking like they could be moments away from finally toppling Mercedes. Charles Leclerc emerged as the next superstar of F1. And then not only do they have a confidential agreement, but seemingly as a result of that agreement, they're rubbish all year. So Ferrari going from pole positions and victories and looking like such a threat to being absolutely nowhere, like not just a distant third in what we tend to call the Class A race at the front. They fell behind a bunch of midfield teams as well. So that story did come second in our results. And I think without, it'd be interesting to see how those votes would have been spread out without the the huge story that we had so recently. But yeah, for me, the, the, the huge Ferrari controversy it's very hard to look past that, but it feels like so long ago. We found out about that when you guys were in Spain at the, te at the test, not having to have COVID tests, not having to wear a mask and being able to stand within two metres of each other. Wait, that was this year? <laughs> well, personally, I'd, I'd have to still vote for the uh, the first half of the season effectively being cancelled but there's there's a lot some lively debate in the community septimus the second agrees with you glenn says ferrari's illegal engine allegedly illegal according to the fii should add being caught turned a 2.5 team fight for the championship into a 1.5 team fight that seems pretty important you can achieve with that catching has a go at people's attention spans so they they support the the recency bias in terms of the russell hamilton one Shane, his name, said, Does ev did everyone forget when Checo got COVID, which allowed Hulkenberg uh, to qualify P3 in the second Silverstone race? There's some questions about why isn't Roman Grosjean's Bahrain crash in there? Max65 says, for me, no question. Honda quitting F1 again. More exclamation marks in his, his use of the word again than, uh, than in the question, which is, which is fair. So, yeah, there, there's just huge variants of, uh, of, of opinion on that one a lively debate going on in the, in the comments there well let's move on to our next category which is what was the biggest blunder of 2020 here you had a choice of five terrible mistakes made by drivers and teams during the season so the options were Leclerc crashes into Vettel in the Styrian Grand Prix Verstappen crashes heading to the grid in Hungary Hamilton enters a closed pit lane and therefore loses victory in the Italian Grand Prix Russell crashes behind the safety car in the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix and Mercedes pit stop disaster for Russell and Bottas in the Sakir Grand Prix an absolute landslide for the Mercedes pit stop disaster in the Sakir Grand Prix which cost them victory 73% of the vote. So come on, Glenn, is that recency bias or is that a fair call? No, no that's not recency bias. Uh, two of these errors cost somebody a race win. And then it's it's what we talked about. It's George Russell going from the worst car on the grid last year, the worst car possibly in race trim this year. He has some Saturday 
heroics in it, but driving around at the back, never scored a point, all these things, and then appears to be on course to, to win on his debut for Mercedes, filling in for Hamilton, and then just an absolute shambles from what we consider to be F1's best team, um, one of F1's sharpest teams. You know, how how does this happen? The radio, the radio mix up with people talking over each other. It, it was... It was a shambles, and we very rarely say that about Mercedes. For me, like I say, there are two races here that are lost victories, and Lewis Hamilton losing a victory doesn't feel as impactful or as painful as George Russell losing one, because we never know if or when George is going to get the chance to win a Grand Prix again. Lewis won a bunch after Monza and has won another World Championship, and I think he'll get over it. So I can completely understand why this one was was such a such a big amount of the vote went to the Mercedes blunder and it cost him Russell absolutely. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go for the for the one that was at the other end of the the, the scale with Leclerc crashing into Vettel because first of all it was it 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 was just pretty rubbish from Leclerc and it was entirely his own fault. But I loved what it represented in that moment. It was that was Ferrari was entering peak crisis mode and its two cars had just been wiped out of the race on the, only the uh, on the first lap two corners into the to the Grand Prix and it was just this it was so representative of this enormous Ferrari implosion and I and and as I said it was entirely self-inflicted and the the I don't think it stops what happened to Mercedes in in the Sakir Grand Prix being a blunder and an absolute circus but there's a tiny part of me that thinks, oh, you're a t- you're a bit unlucky there because of the way the call to Russell's mechanics coincides with Russell coming over the radio. So it's it's that sort of weird. I, I guess it is human error because the program this is the software's programmed that way, but it's it's technology failing at, at the same time, and that's what sparks everything. And and. I think it was uh, I think it was Andrew Shovelin who who said actually the job that Mercedes that the mechanics did thereafter to to try and get stuff in position was actually pretty good considering they were totally lost and it obviously felt like an eternity at the time but it only lasted about half a minute and they did all of, they did all of this but it was just a, as you said Glenn, it, it turned into a total shambles the only tiny thing that saves it in this, because again, this is a collection of the biggest blunders, uh, not not just comparing it to a, a normal mistake, is that that tiny, tiny absence of initial sort of human responsibility at the beginning, whereas Leclerc piling into the back of his teammate was just sheer comedic blunder value. <laughs> well, I've, I've got to say, it's got to be Russell crashing behind the safety car while on course for what would have been Williams' only points of the season at Imola. Yes, he was aggressively trying to keep his tyres warm. Yes, these tyres are horrendous when they when they lose temperature. So we understand how it happened. But he called it an amateur error, the worst mistake of his career. And he was right. It was a, it was a horrendous, horrendous blunder. George Russell's a fantastic driver with a bright future. But that one's forever going to haunt his nightmares, I imagine, when he but remembers that one. Unforgivable, that one, isn't it? it? It is, it is. And I always tend to think the sort of non-racing mistakes. So that one and the Verstappen-Hungaring formation, well, not even formation, that lap to the grid... Verstappen got away with that one. Obviously, Russell couldn't. So, yeah, really tough break. Now, Denetherer in the comments in our, our YouTube community section says, I think the worst was Russell's crash because it was the best chance to get a point for Williams, which is certainly fair. Garrett, 
accepts there's some recency bias potentially, but the Mercedes unforced error is the one is the one he goes for because it was in embarrassing. And Philip Craig agrees, no question, it was a secure pit stop nonsense. He cites Eddie Irvin at the Nurburgring in 1999, saying he wishes his pit stop went that well. There, there's a few left field suggestions: Racing Point dumping Perez and keeping Stroll. I guess that's a, a different kind of of blunder. And yeah, there's there's. There's a very big split of opinion on this one, actually. There's there's lots of left-field suggestions, and, yeah, uh, Sumitra Chowdhury says Verstappen driving behind Perez like a madman and throwing a win in the Turkish Grand Prix. So, yeah, loads there. But Graham Williams just says Leclerc crashing into Vettel gave me the best laugh. That's probably a, a fair point. We can't we can't deny that that sort of thing. It, it's 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 tragic comic, but it, it it is sort of sort of funny regardless of which team it was. Let's move on to the next one. What was the biggest heartbreak of 2020? So that's the polar opposite, really, of the last one. This is for drivers or teams not getting what they deserved for reasons outside of their control. So we've got Alex Albon's Austrian Grand Prix charge ending in the Hamilton clash. Sainz missing out on the Monza win for McLaren by 0.4 seconds. Ferrari debris costing Bottas at Imola. Russell losing a possible first win with Mercedes at the Sakir Grand Prix. Sounds familiar. And Grosjean not getting a proper F1 farewell race. Now, the winner in this one, everyone's going to be shocked, is Russell losing a possible first win with Mercedes. Scott, you look amazed. <laughs> I was just when uh, when you read out the uh, when you read out the Bottas one, I saw, I just I checked my notes and saw the uh, saw the the <laughs> just the t- basically the total absence of support or sympathy for Bottas, which I just think is so it's so typical of him. I know that this again, I know that this is a collection of the worst, so it's kind of it's not reflective of nobody caring that he he lost that win. I just think it's. I've kind of lost myself here because it's just so typical of Bottas. I, um, I actually but, think, I, I think I'd have voted for that because I just think it, it had a combination of just being a, a terrible heartbreak because it cost him the win and just a, a wonderful irony that not only did Ferrari stop itself from winning any races this year, it managed to stop Bottas winning uh, winning one on what was one of his best weekends. Yeah, well, it although, says it all, doesn't it? As soon as you put a piece of a Ferrari on the Mercedes, it became rubbish. Yeah, I was about to say that even in even though it cost Bottas but like seven or eight tenths a second a lap, it's probably the fastest uh, uh, for Ferrari uh, aero part has gone round round a circuit this year. Um, I, I I'm absolutely not surprised at all that um, that Russell's lost win gets this one because. Uh, the, the others all have sort of a little bit about them, and and yeah, as I said, I'm not I'm not laughing at the fact that Bottas lost the win because he was he was actually really mega at, at, at Imola, and 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 that that's the least sad of these five, and it's still it's still gutting. But yeah, the Russell one just we, we were talking about it before the the whole human story around it, um, and like Mercedes, and obviously Mercedes want to win every race they can, but they were, they're so invested in George and they gave so much to him that weekend. I'd listened to every radio message between him and Peter Bonington, his race engineer that weekend. And, and Bono, who obviously normally works with Hamilton was coaching Russell so much. They, they threw everything into this. Russell did everything he could. It would have been, it, uh, it's too much of a stretch to say it could have been career changing, but obviously it would have been career defining to win on your first start for Mercedes would have been incredible to lose that that is I think it's one of the few times that you do get emotionally caught up in it as a as a neutral obviously you know we don't play favorites as as journalists we certainly try not to play favorites 
but when that happens, how can you not like? How can you not buy into it? Even the most unempathetic of individuals must have sort of felt a pang right here just to just to see that slip through George's fingers. The enduring image of that is George afterwards in the paddock, isn't it? Where he sort of lays down on a grass verge or something. You can just, you can feel the agony. So I can see why this one, one, I won't dwell on it because we've talked about it in lots of other categories as well. And uh, I fear we may be talking about it again shortly. Um, Looking at the others, I thought it was interesting. McLaren did that brilliant um, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz are the Muppets video recently. And in that, when they showed Carlos watching him losing the Monza win, he said that still hurts. So if Carlos voted, I'm sure he voted for himself there. The the Grosjean one is really sad. Even I think even if you take the, the horror of the crash out of it, Grosjean's had what's now quite a long F1 career. We knew we knew he was he was leaving anyway. For him to just not get that moment where you, you drive one last time. I know he was in a horrible car that he didn't enjoy driving anyway, but it's just all those little things. Like, I can even imagine your your last slowing down lap after the chequered flag in F1, just taking it all in one last time. I don't know, do, do you give the car a little pat on the side as you get out of it, you, embracing all the mechanics and all that sort of thing afterwards? Grosjean didn't get to soak up leaving F1. Uh, I'm sure... He probably doesn't mind that much because he's got away from a, a terrifying moment with his life, and that's far more important. But it was a real shame because he's had a pretty memorable F1 career, some real, some real peaks and troughs. You think about he's he's still the last driver to have been banned from a race for that massive shunt in 2012, but he scored podiums. He went toe to toe with Sebastian Vettel a little bit at the end of 2013 when nobody else could. Uh, linked to Ferrari at one point. Um, Grosjean was as well so it is a shame for him to leave uh, F1 in that way and I I think it's telling that this was the only other um, option in this category that got a substantial chunk of the vote Um, and yeah I I can see why I think it is the one that stood out beyond obviously the Russell heartbreak Yeah I've got quite a lot of sympathy for Roman Grosjean, a good guy when things are right, a stunningly quick driver great shame he didn't win a Grand Prix and get a proper I've got a little bit of sympathy for Alex Albon as well for that Austria moment because he could have won that race I don't have sympathy in terms of the incident because I think he could have been more patient Hamilton obviously got a penalty for that but I felt that when you're going around the outside of a driver on on a restart lap, front tyres maybe not up to temperature you you are taking a risk but I just wonder what might have gone differently for him had he managed to get that win that day. So that that's kind of why it gives it a little bit of a thing for it. But I'd, oh yeah, I'd have gone for, for Bottas. Again, in our community section, huge difference of opinion. Uh, we've got various suggestions various <laughs> suggestions there, some of which I can't pronounce the names of, which is uh, which is not very good. Matthias uh, van der Lanoot says, Russell, shortly followed by Albon, was really frustrating seeing his podium nearly identical to the mishap in Brazil being lost in, in the fashion there in terms of the collision with with uh, with Hamilton. MJTH says, I think Grosjean not getting a proper last race is a, is a real heartbreak. He deserved to be in the car one more time, which I think everybody can uh, can agree with that one. Although <laughs> Manspedge says Albon clashing with Hamilton was amazing because it ended up with Lando Norris getting a podium. So, so yeah, one person's heartbreak is another's delight. 
So yeah, lots and lots and lots of uh, lots of sympathy there for lots of drivers. Jerome Carlson says even in this poll, Bottas gets no love from anybody. So I think that's probably a a very fair point there, which is why I've got sympathy for Imola. People criticise Bottas for not being Lewis Hamilton, but he had the beating of him that day. But just a, a ridiculous bit of misfortune cost him. Let's move on to the next one, which is who or what was the biggest disappointment of 2020? Again, pretty straightforward. Who or what did a lot worse than expected? The five nominations were Ferrari. The lack of a championship fight, Alex Alban, Sebastian Vettel, and Racing Point failing to get third with its Mercedes clone. And the winner is George Russell. In the, oh, no, sorry. No, it's, it's Ferrari <laughs> with just over half of the vote. So, yeah, an overwhelming win for Ferrari, Glenn. I guess not a big surprise. No, I, I guess um, for, I thought this one would probably be Ferrari or Vettel. Looking at the vote, it looks like people have pinned the blame for Vettel's miserable season largely on Ferrari. Uh, and yeah, for, as we mentioned earlier, for how far they'd fallen and all the circumstances behind it, it's an embarrassment for Ferrari. It's their worst season in, in modern memory. Um, and I don't think they can have any excuses. Um, whatever was going on before, if that's responsible for what's happened now, then it was it was self-inflicted, really. And it was hard to watch. I thought the emergence of Leclerc last year was a great story and we all wanted to see Hamilton versus Verstappen versus Leclerc and that was taken away from us because Ferrari messed up and once they didn't have the engine power, it exposed flaws in their, their car concept and there was that big debate at the start of the year, wasn't there, of you know, did they design a car that got the most out of having that much power or did just that much power that they had last year it, uh, cover up some deficiencies in the car? And I suspect it was the latter. So it's not only that they lost engine power, but I think we now realise that the car wasn't good enough as well. And that reminds me a little bit of McLaren during the Honda years, where they kept telling us the car was great. And then when they took the Honda engine out of it, we realised the car was a bit rubbish as well. So Ferrari, it's a horrible season but they've only really got themselves to blame. They, they weren't doing a good enough job in enough areas and they were potentially pushing the limits too far in other areas. But like I say, the, the interesting thing for me on top of that is the Vettel element. I really thought Vettel would at least be second in this and I find it very interesting that he got so little of the vote. Maybe he was everybody's second vote because they thought Ferrari and Vettel as a combination were the, the biggest disappointment. Um, or, yeah, people have, have let... Sebastian off the hook because he was driving a rubbish car uh, he knew he was going and it just was a horrible environment for him well you know by Ferrari's own admission this year has been a crisis at times and they hit rock bottom who can forget both cars seem failing to finish at, at Monza um Vettel with a with a failure and Leclerc with a crash but they were they were nowhere anyway Leclerc had sort of inherited a decent track position just because of the timing of the safety car but um that they had no pace. It was embarrassing. It was back-to-back races where they were they were they were nowhere. Um, and then even obviously at Ferrari's real home race at Mugello, you know their own track, uh, Leclerc did an absolutely stunning job in 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 qualifying. And then in, in the race, you know Vettel was um, they, they they both felt Leclerc fell to the foot of the points when Vettel was struggling to beat Russell in the in the Williams and the and obviously the the, the Alfa Romeos as well. So. It was really, really, it was a really chastening year for, for Ferrari. And actually, I think in this poll, I, I'm going to say that they 
Ferrari win with 79% of the vote because Ferrari's absolute catastrophic failure of a season is the re- is one of the key reasons we didn't have a championship fight. It's it's disappointing that we didn't have Red Bull challenging from challenging Mercedes. What you can't accuse Red Bull of is not at least putting their best foot forward because they've they've clearly done a decent job because by the end of the year they've claimed a pole position they've won two races with Verstappen they're at least there and okay it's not good enough but it's that they're at least in the fight and and I I can I can only be so angry at that because ultimately we know that Mercedes is basically an impossible benchmark for anyone to be measured against the fat Ferrari were were like basically completely self-removed from that it plays a significant role in the the old overall uh, purpose of the season, which is the championship fight, lacking a narrative completely. So Ferrari didn't just, you know, detonate their own hopes. They detonated the hopes that everyone had that this would finally be the season Mercedes had a sustainable long-term challenge. I have to say my one would have been Sebastian Vettel. Because just on a human level... I'd have loved to see him have a really just strong, even relative to what the car could do, final season with Ferrari. But it, it was terrible. He was well off Leclerc. He had basically a couple of good races. Obviously, the highlight was Turkey, where he made up eight places on the first lap, then got that last gasp podium. But it was just such a shame to see him not sign off on, on a bit of a high with, with Ferrari because regardless of what people make of Vettel as a driver, and he's absolutely brilliant when things are right, He's just a, a really good guy who's so popular with that team. Look at him singing at them on the slowdown lap and everything. You know, just, just it would have been lovely for him to have had a, a nice sign-off. But yeah, lots of, uh, lots of chat on the community section again. Justin Williams says, has to be Ferrari's disappointing season. Disastrous season, he calls it, in fact. To see a team with its quality drivers, technical expertise and massive budget struggling and often failing to make the points is by far the biggest disappointment. It's quite difficult to uh, to argue with that, really, when he puts it that way. A no championship fight. Christian Path blames Bottas version 30.56 for that, saying barely <laughs> providing any points resistance, even if he did have bad luck, and he certainly did have a lot of bad luck. Dr. Kostakius says, I cannot put one thing over another, which is uh, always difficult when it comes to, to a poll. But yeah, there, there's lots and lots and lots of uh, support for Ferrari there. And yeah, reminder from the Cornington, I think everyone forgot the FI band party motor stopped Mercedes and it did nothing. So I guess that feeds into the no championship fight. Just uh, just doesn't do it. Uh, Abanyav G says, funny how Lance Stroll's uh, Abu Dhabi caused Racing Point to lose third place. So a little bit of sympathy for, for Racing Point there. Obviously he had a slightly tame drive to 10th there. I like Racing Point despite some of the problems associated with that team and yeah, they had the car for third and they didn't get it. Let's move on to our final category. We talked about the best wins, but there were 323 occasions of drivers starting races this year that did not result in a win. So what was the best driver of the season that was not a victory? It's a tough category to pick the contenders for because there were so many. Kevin Magnussen, 10th in the Hungarian Grand Prix. Carlos Sainz, 2nd in the Italian Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc, 4th in Portugal. Daniel Ricciardo, 3rd in the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix and... You knew it. George Russell, ninth in the Sakia Grand Prix. Scott, would you like to take a bold guess at who's won this category with forty with fifty four percent of the votes? Uh, Lando Norris, third in the Austrian Grand Prix. No, it wasn't even his best drive in a race at the Red Bull Ring. Sorry. Should we talk about that? Because uh, it was really difficult to come up with just five for this, and 
one thing I've really enjoyed, Ed, about you going through the comments is hearing the other options that people would have put forward for all the other categories. I, I dread to think what this one looks like because you can think of so many. But I think, am I right, Ed, that Scott and I both said, oh, should we get that Norris Austria charge in? And as you did there, you, you slapped us down. So would you like to explain why? Oh, it's a good drive and obviously that that tense battle for will he get across the line because Hamilton had that that penalty so he did well but he probably should have finished ahead of Charles Leclerc he made a bit of a misjudgment in battle that allowed Leclerc to get past him so I don't think he got the best possible result still a gr- very good drive but just not quite up there I thought his one the week after in Styria finished fifth I think if memory serves uh, was actually a better drive at the Red Bull ring and then Nürburgring where he should have probably been third but retired Abu Dhabi at the end of the season so there were better ones from uh, from Lando Norris which I know is a little bit counterintuitive but this is the thing when it comes to best drive of the season I tend to always think about the overall all-round quality of the drive but quite understandably you can also factor in the circumstances specific moments or the the storyline etc so so that's why I think a lot of people like like the uh, like the Norris one which I, I, I can't blame them for but yeah just one of the many drives that was kind of I guess on the sidelines each driver you can probably pick up three or four strong contenders I mean really George Russell shouldn't be winning this category should he, he finished ninth in a Mercedes that's nothing to write home about um my favorite here uh, I think I think it's Magnussen's drive in Hungary you know with the the tyre gamble that Haas took and that they got in trouble for got him track position and he just did such a good job of, of managing his race and, and playing the long game the whole time. So he knew when to... He was doing his own thing the whole time and basically saying to everybody else, I'm driving my race in a Haas. It's a car that's much slower than you've got. Get on with your race around me. Don't hold me up. He didn't bog himself down. He managed it brilliantly and... I was when I went back to look at this one to put it forward for a nomination I was I was almost disappointed for Kevin that with how far he fell and then the penalty he got that dropped him to 10th because he ran if I remember correctly in the podium places for ages in this race and I remember thinking at that point like he deserves at least sort of a top 6 finish out of this and I just thought it was a, it was a great drive and maybe the type of drive we didn't see enough from Kevin in his time when Haas was maybe a little bit more competitive. But I thought it was it was everything, it was all of the good things about Kevin. And it was good that in his final F1 season, in a terrible car, he did at least get one chance to show what he could really do on a good day. I think the difference between a drive like Magnussen's, and actually, t- to be fair, like the likes of Leclerc's fourth place in, in, in Portugal and, and Ricardo's podium at Imola, where, where it's different to the Russell-Sakir performance um, or even signs second in Italy, sort of being so visible at, at the front. I, I feel sometimes victories can fall into two quite different categories. One which is just so obviously such an ob- obvious emotive performance is on the surface. You ha- you have to buy into the brilliance of it because it's happening right in front of you. So Russell acing the start, leading early on, managing everything that race through at him, even when Mercedes botched the pit stop and he fell back. He looked like he was still going to win it, that mega overtake on on, on Bottas. At, all of this was happening on a one-off appearance or what could have been a one-off appearance and on his first Mercedes start, first chance to prove himself. The car's not his. He's uncomfortable. It's hurting him to drive it. He's wearing boots that are too small for him. He doesn't know. A, 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 nothing's automatic in terms of switches. He's having to be coached by Bono like constantly being like, I remember to do this. He's asking for advice. All of this is happening. We can see it. We can live it. 
So you ha- it's so easy to buy into that, and so that's why I'm not, not surprised at all that this was <clears throat> that this was a runaway winner again. Obviously, that I, I suspect the outcome helps a little bit as well. But he, let, let's face it, if he'd won this race or finished second, there was a good chance that he'd win this pole. And the difference between that and a Magnussen tenth uh, or, or Ricardo third or Leclerc fourth it falls into the other category, which I think is more of a it's like a driver's drive. Like it's a, prof- do you know what I mean? It's like the professional's performance. Like you have to understand or appreciate a little bit more nuance about it. And that's not to say that the people who didn't vote for it don't understand that. But it's these polls. I think when you're when you're voting voting in a poll, I think you sort of tend to lean towards the more emotive ones that stir that sort of feeling inside you. So I'm sure everyone appreciates the brilliance of Magnussen's tenth place. Do you then sort of automatically think, oh yeah, that was better than George nearly winning, having spent his entire F1 career driving a shed? No, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think you do. So I completely understand why it happened. I think it's just the the way we, in which we sort of immediately respond to these victories and what and what we like about them. Yeah, they're all really good ones. I really like the Magnussen one because it's just all about minimising the race time. But Science second at Monza, I thought was really strong because he should have been the one who was by rights there to, to inherit the win from, from Hamilton, but through misfortune ultimately wasn't just a really, really, really strong drive. And things like Leclerc fourth in Portugal is just a really classy drive. I think he was the only one of that, that midfield group who was on the lead lap still at the end of the race. And we saw Leclerc do that a number of, a number of times. And again, we've got loads and loads and loads of different um, suggestions here for, for that. Philip Craig says, none of them. Hulkenberg P20 to P8 at the Nürburgring after being called up mid-coffee to do only three flying laps in Q1. That's a fair point. Samuel Santos says, Magnussen's performance in Hungary reminds us that, of course, he did come out ninth on the road before the penalty. Seriously underappreciated. The dude dragged that piece of bleep car to one of only two points finishes for Haas all year. The board network says, stop putting George Russell in these. We all know he's going to win every time, so leave him out for a change. That's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, Reiko DV says, Magnussen's points in Hungary are so underrated, but obviously not by us because we put him in the poll. Where's Perez in Turkey, says Abin Paul, finished second, of course. And there's there's very, loads of suggestions, even some love for the Alfa Romeo drivers. Francisco Baeta says, Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi from the back of the grid to ninth and tenth at Imola. Holden Cross says, where's Vettel's third place in Turkey? That was an amazing drive. And Michael Zuma says, I'd say Norris's drive to P3 in Austria was the best non-victory in my eye, but I've already explained why I don't think that's correct. So uh, I thought I'd let the counter-argument go in there anyway. But yeah. George Russell wins it. Well, thanks very much to the hundreds of thousands of you that voted in these polls. Please do continue this debate in the YouTube comments section or in the community section of the Races YouTube channel. We'd love to hear what you think, and it's great to see the different perspectives that everybody has. And don't forget to check out therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Also, our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. And of course, do also subscribe free to the Race F1 podcast via your podcast supplier of choice, with episodes released at at least once a week, and we'll be going strong over the winter. So thanks very much for joining us for this special video podcast, and for all of our output during what's been an amazing year in 2020.